0: Welcome to the living the dream podcast with Curveball if you believe you can achieve Hello and welcome to another episode of living the dream with Curveball. I am your host Curveball and today I am joined by Donna Wells. She is a domestic violence subject expert, an author, a technology teacher, and a speaker. And I used to teach technology as well. I love technology. So Donna, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. So um, my book is called I'll Pray For You, and it comes out of my own personal experience with domestic violence and um and just you know I I can't believe that someone actually wanted to publish my story because as a domestic violence victim um we tend to believe what our abusers tell us about no one will ever listen to you or you're not important no one cares and that's not true at all um So I'm just going to share a little bit about my story and you're welcome to stop me when you have um, some questions. And like I said, my book starts with, with my life, but um, I found myself as I'm writing, I needed some sort of background. So um, I found myself and literally found myself driving, imagine driving to the military base where I had, um, been living with my ex my soon to be ex-husband at that point and my apartment was most literally a crime scene um he had trashed it and I remember thinking on that drive how did my life get to be like this I what grew up Christian and Baptist and I had followed all the do's and didn't do all the don'ts and this wasn't supposed to happen to, you know, those stereotypes of, of domestic violence victims. This was not supposed to happen to me. I did all the right things. I followed my church, I, you know, and and yet here I was with bruises and I had to call the military policeman before I could even go on the base. They wanted to know my whereabouts at all times. I was only allowed 15 minutes in my apartment To feed my cats and get whatever clothes that I needed for myself and my daughter, who was not even two at that point. She was about one and a half. And when I got to the house, the MPs, the military police would meet me there and they took my keys. They opened the door and they padded down every cushion. They opened every door, every drawer, every closet. They looked through everything because they they believed my soon-to-be ex-husband at that point when he told them that if he found me he would finish the job that he started he was out to kill me and it was just a what in the world did i do to get my life this far
0: well let me ask when you were going into your apartment to get things and feed your cat your husband wasn't restrained after making those kind of threats or what What did they do to him to keep him um, away from you?
1: The Navy told him, stay away from me. But his commanding officer believed him when he said, I was just, you know, one of those crazy wives and I was just, you know, blowing things way out of proportion. Um, but the detectives assured me that I was not, I would not and in fact, I was having to stay in hiding at the home of a friend. She actually hid my car in her barn with a tarp over it because he would come and stalk people that he thought he that he thought that I and and our daughter would be staying with and he would drive slowly by the house repeatedly time after time after time. And I was just so traumatized and it was just so awful. Um and during this time I received a letter from the Navy and the Navy Family Services and their and their domestic violence advocate program. And it was like reading words that I couldn't even comprehend. I received a letter from the Navy saying that they found evidence that my husband had abused me physically, sexually, emotionally, and psychologically how do you deal with getting a letter like that in the mail?
0: Absolutely. Now, how did this situation get this way? I'm sure it wasn't like that in the beginning. I'm sure you guys had a good relationship in the beginning, but how, how did it go off the rails to where it gets to the point to where you are having to have your car hitting hi- and hiding and all that stuff?
1: Um. So I met him at a church picnic and, um, it was his first time in Hawaii and I was there as a school teacher. you know, I was thrilled when they offered me right out of co- you know right at a two or a year or two out of college. They offered me a job teaching at a private school in Hawaii who wouldn't want to go teach in Hawaii, right? so um so I was thrilled to go teach in Hawaii and so I met him at a church picnic there in Hawaii and we hung out and we um, our first date was actually to a, a state park to a waterfall and you hike out about a mile and then you look at the waterfall and you can actually swim at that point in the, in the fresh water under the waterfall. And, um, as we were walking, of course, I was trying to make a good impression. And, um, the, the, the trail was dry and I slipped and I fell and landed on my backside and, um, you know, in true silly form, he was laughing at me. And so he helped me up and I brushed myself off. And a little while later we were talking and he turned around to say something to me. And when he turned to face forward again, a tree branch poked him right in the forehead. And so I got to laugh at him that time. And that was, that was our first date. And it was really, you know, we just, we had a great time and um, you know, and, and dating was great. There were a couple of what I can see now as red flags where he was really jealous and, and kind of controlling, but, you know, you don't think about that kind of stuff when, when you're dating, it's just, Oh, he's, you know, he's, he really cares. Look at how much he cares about me because he's, you know, he's wants to know where I am and make sure I'm safe, you know? So, so we don't give people, You know, we give people the benefit of the doubt because we want to, you know, we we want to believe that people have good intentions most of the time. And so um, we dated and then he was headed out to sea for six months and I understood the military system. And I realized that if we didn't get married, that um, I wouldn't get any information or anything about him for at least six months, if not more than that. And so we had a New Year's Eve wedding and, um, you know, things went went pretty well for a while. He was in and out of sea. And then um, there was one time, though, that he came back from being out at sea that he was just a different person. And he had lost about 20 or 30 pounds and he had been in the hospital in one of the military hospitals and. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with him, but he came back and he was just paranoid and sullen and started to be more controlling and more possessive. And then towards the end, um, it got so bad that he would not even allow me to answer the door or answer my cell phone without his permission. And if I was leaving the house, he would have to know how long and where I was going and with whom and he would give his permission.
0: So what do you think made the situation turn like that? And also, what was the last straw for you? What What was the situation or what happened, if you don't mind me asking, that made you say, okay, I need to get out of here, because I know a lot of people that are in these situations, they have issues with oh, he said he's not going to do it again, or it's my fault. So what was the last straw that made you decide you needed to get out?
1: So the last straw was just the, you know, we went through all of the, the military would put him on a cooling off period and assign him to the barracks. And my counselor, my friend said that the counseling center, the family service center had really helped her. And maybe it would help me too, because... I was convinced it was all my fault. You know, I could talk as a school teacher to rooms full of children and I was a like state level conference speaker at, at education conferences and technology conferences, but why couldn't I talk to my husband without making him angry at me? You know, what what was the problem with that? So the final straw for me was the Navy put him on leave because of his increasing paranoia. And I had gone to see my counselor and she said, do you mean to tell me that you think he's going to harm himself or others? And I said, yes. And she said, you know, the, you know, the outcomes of that. Right. And I said, I do. I understand what I'm saying because as a teacher, I'm a mandatory reporter. If somebody says suicide or child abuse or something, those are, those are very serious and we always take them seriously. And because of that, she had to, you know, pull the trigger on all the different on all the different services. And I understood and he had weapons in our home and that was that was a problem. And I had come home from mentoring as a Navy wife mentor and I had just received a commendation from a vice admiral funny enough about this program, because my friends and I had started this program to help some of the junior Navy wives, the the women who had just married sailors. And at this point, there were no women on Navy submarines. So it was a number of years ago, but we had started this program to help families who weren't familiar with the Navy culture to take these classes and become more familiar and the vice admiral was really thrilled and so we all got our letters of commendation and i got home and my my husband at that point and i call him Dirk in the book but Dirk had separated all my belongings into stacks of what i could keep what i what he was allowing me to keep and what i could take with me it was just awful to Like he kept my underwear and my bras and my favorite gifts from students who had, you know, who had graduated and given me gifts as they, you know, were, were leaving high school and that kind of thing. And, and then he's smashing things. And I went to call my friend who was part of my safety plan and he walked up behind me and grabbed me by the neck and. My left arm, and he said, I'm not leaving, you are. And he was and still is six feet four, and you know, over 220 pounds. And I'm not six feet four, I'm about five, two, five, five, three. I'm a good day. And he picked my body up and smashed it into our storm door repeatedly until I could get my arm free to somehow struggle with the latch and open it. And then he threw me down the concrete stairs. And I remember praying at the bottom, thank you, God, for getting me down the stairs on my feet, because I don't remember hitting any of the stairs except like the top landing and then the bottom stair. I don't know that how I hit any. I don't know how I got down all of them without being injured or killed. And that was when I decided that I could not go back because I was put in an ambulance and taken to the local hospital to be checked out. I had a cut over my eye. I had bruises that turned into his handprints on the back of my neck and on my arm. And the detectives taking had to take pictures of all of this. And you know the little raised ridge around the around the glass of the storm door? Yeah. I had... I had that ridge across my legs. He had hit me so hard, so forcefully against that door. I had I had the outline of that on my body of the door.
0: Well, let me just ask. I know that you're a Christian and that you grew up in, in the church. Did you guys ever try did you ever try to get your pastor involved or, you know, any of the church to try to say, hey, you know, God does not allow this, you know, to him and try to wake him up? Or or was he was he saved as well? I know you guys met at a, a picnic church picnic, but did you ever try to get the church involved?
1: So I did. He was he did make a profession of faith. And he was baptized in the church. But he had a problem with pornography. And he expected me to submit to whatever whims that he decided at any point. And I was feeling guilty, right? That God was talking to me and saying, look, this isn't right. You shouldn't, you know, this isn't, this isn't something that you should be doing. This is degrading. And so I went forward in one of the church services one Sunday morning and I talked with the pastor, not even a lot, just like tip of the iceberg kind of stuff. And the minister called my husband then in and talked with him in his office. And when Dirk came out of that office, he snarled at me, get in the car, we're leaving. I can't believe you did that to me. And then we got in the car and he snarled, buckle up. And he drove like a maniac, like 80 miles an hour to 20 miles an hour. And he would step on the gas and let off and step on the gas and let off just And he said, hold on. And I thought I was going to die because he was so angry. And he just, when I got home from that, I remember going into the bedroom and the bathroom was right off the master bedroom. And I remember locking myself in the bathroom and praying the verse from Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And I remember praying that and thinking, God, you're going to have to help me because I'm never asking anybody on this earth for help again, because it will kill me. He will kill me. And, you know, he's yelling, that's what you get on the outside of the bathroom door. So um, after he tried to throw me down the stairs, I, I had to go to the hospital. I stayed with a friend, the investigators arrested him. But before they arrested him, he had gone to see a movie and he went to um, one of his favorite restaurants and he went to clean out our bank account. And I couldn't believe that I was in the emergency room, you know, they're looking at the the cut above my eye and all the bruises and, you know, cataloging all the injuries. And he went out to eat, you know, it was just surreal. And so I decided at that point that I could not go back to him because I was convinced that the abuse always gets worse. And working with my counselor, the abuse never gets better. It never gets, oh, I'm so sorry. He was sorry for a day or two, but it never lasted. And I decided that my daughter needed one sane and safe parent and I was gonna to have to be it, and, and I left. I couldn't stay, it wasn't safe. But you asked about the pastor and the, the, we couldn't go back to that church because I had embarrassed him. So we started attending a different church. And the pastor called me as I was staying in hiding at my friend's house. And he called my cell and he said, you know, this is wrong, you really need to take him back and come to counseling with me. And I said, I can't do that pastor. I I just can't. And he said, well, you know, you're, you're living in sin. You're leaving him. And, and I started to cry. And I said, you're making me choose between my abuser and my faith. That's not right. And I started to cry and he said, you know, you have to take him back. You need to, you need to go for counseling. And I said, look, the detectives and the Navy people are telling me that if I take this man back, he will kill me. And I don't want to die. And he left it with, they were going to discipline me or excommunicate me, remove my name from the membership of the church. And I was feeling frustrated. And I said, you know, you're going to have to do what you're going to do because I, I cannot take him back. It's not safe. And so, um, you know, you, you asked about the effects of domestic violence and we have lifelong effects from this, from this abuse that we, that we endured we don't do surprises at our house, no, no jumping out and ha ha, I made you jump. We don't do that that send us sends us into panic. We don't do jump scares, we don't do surprises. We have plans, we have calendars, we have lists. We live with fear of him finding us because. He has told our lawyer that if he finds her, that he will kidnap her and take her to a Caribbean island where there is no jurisdiction for the U.S. and no extradition and tell her what an evil person I am. And so we live with our security system and our phones with the locations on and a lot of looking over our shoulder and... Nightmares and anxiety. God is working on us. And I will say that, you know, people try to say, oh, time heals all wounds. No, no, it really doesn't. It takes a lot of work to leave someone who's abusive, it's hard, it's awful. And you don't know what to do or who to believe when you go. Um, well, I'm
0: glad you brought that up. What advice would you give? Because there's a lot of people going, going through this right now, and this is why I wanted to have you on. So hopefully you could possibly help save somebody's life. What advice would you give somebody that is going through, has went through what you went through, or even worse?
1: Absolutely. The first thing that I needed to do was learn how to identify the abuse. Right. I had to come to terms with the way that he's treating me is abusive. So the intimidation the coercion and threats, if you don't do this, then I'm going to, you know, whatever. And even the economic abuse, because I was staying home with our daughter, I didn't have a job. So I was depending on him for money. and And, you know, so learning to squirrel away an extra five or ten dollars from my grocery budget so i had some money of my own but the isolation too telling all the friends that i thought i had that you know i was having an affair and all this kind of stuff so i had to face the fact that he was actually abusive and that's kind of the you know we talk about the 12-step programs Acknowledging you have a problem, and that's really valid here. You know, there's you have to be able to say, I'm being abused, and this isn't right. And for myself, I had to come to that point of forgiving myself because I'm human, I didn't see all these things, right? So, I as a person deserve safety and I deserve help, and so does everyone who's listening. And then, um, I made an escape plan. I had a person that I could trust to call and I arranged a place where I could be safe, where I knew that my, that my husband wouldn't find me. And the national domestic violence hotline has a a website. They call it the hotline. The website is amazing. And they even, because I know my husband tracked all of my all of my online activity and my phone history and all of that stuff. Um, They have a button on their website that lets you exit the website and it takes that right out of your history, which I thought is amazing.
0: And you give that website out for the listeners and any kind of phone numbers and hotlines that you have access to. So people can get that information.
1: I will absolutely do that, but they have a, they have a, um, the The escape plan and kind of the documents that you need to take, right? You need your driver's license and insurance cards and all that stuff. Because when I, when he grabbed me, I didn't have time to grab all that important stuff. And I had a go bag in my car with a set of clothes for me and a set of clothes for my, for my baby. And I needed that go bag. You know, I didn't think I'd ever need it, but I was really glad that I had a plan. So That making a plan is really important. And um, just to stress the everyone deserves help. It's not easy. It's the most difficult thing I've ever done. But my life is so much better now that I'm out and my daughter and I are safe and life is so much better. And I really hope that by sharing my story that I can get that I can, you know, share the hope of escape from domestic abuse.
0: What projects are you working on right now? Are you working on any upcoming projects? Any other books, podcasts, speaking—just anything that you're doing.
1: Um. So, on my website, authordwales.org, you can hear um, a couple of the. Podcasts and there's another there's like a whole hour interview with me talking about the book and um, different aspects of of how domestic violence works and how you get kind of trapped there and it's really hard to to get out and then um, another one of the podcasts that I did with the University of Rhode Island Media Education Lab was breaking stereotypes of domestic violence victims because the media does horrible things for domestic violence victims. You know, they, they, everyone is, you know, you're dumb or you're, you know, you're uneducated or you're a certain socioeconomic group or ethnic group. And none of those are true. And so that was a really interesting webinar, but the link to that is on my website too. But, you know, the the learning to identify the abuse and making an escape plan and then going and getting professional help is really key to being out and staying out. And it's not easy. But my book, um, so the second book that I'm writing is actually a devotion or a meditation, like a daily meditation book on the cycle of abuse. And So for instance, the first stage is the the tension building stage where it ramps up into the explosion. And that tension building stage is really, it's really tough living like you're walking on eggshells or trying not to, you know, trying to diffuse the situation. And, you know, the Bible talks about living at peace with all men and the Bible talks about being kind what does that look like when you're being abused and what did, you know, how do you try to live at peace with all men when, you know, when your house is not peaceful at home? So that's what my next book is. And then, um, so that will be more like a little, more like a little pamphlet probably. Yeah. I'm really excited about some of the possibilities that are coming up. Um, I have another podcast. The Perseverance podcast, again, is one that that is talking about, you know, overcoming adversity and, and getting, conquering these kinds of issues. So it's good.
0: Absolutely. Do you have any last words for the audience?
1: I do, you know, it took me 12 years Of being married to my abuser, to be able to gain the strength to, to get out, to make the escape plan and to leave. And it was really, really difficult to leave. And I had people who were not really supportive when I left. What are you doing? You're ruining your entire life. But I can tell you from this side, it's so much better on this side. My daughter and I are so much happier. In the book, she's less than two. Um, Now she's 16. She's looking forward to going to college. And my husband now is her stepdad. And the two of them are inseparable. And life is amazing. So it's a lot of work. But it's so worth it in the end.
0: Absolutely. Go ahead um, and give out some contact information, social media, your website, once again, for the listeners. And I also would like you to give out that national domestic violence information. That way people will have it if, if they need okay. it and can access it.
1: Sure. Um, so my website is authordwales.org and there's a whole bunch of links to um, different podcasts and and some resources there. And the D- National Domestic Violence Hotline is just the hotline.org. And they not only have a they have, you know, the 1-800 number, but they also have the different resources about How to identify the abuse and how to make an escape plan? And so those those are just invaluable. But I'm also on Facebook at Donna Wales, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. If you look up Donna Wales, you will find me. And it's W-A-Y-L-E-S because I don't know. My husband decided that that was a good way to spell it, I guess, or his family did. So, but it's been great let you know thanks for letting me share with you and your audience
0: oh i appreciate your time donna thank you so much for joining me today thanks and list- and listeners please make sure to subscribe rate and review after listening for more information on the living the dream podcast visit www.djcurveball.com until next time stay focused on Living the Dream.